Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. kind of laid a message this week on my heart. I've been uh, reading a book and, uh, and kind of the, the title uh, of our, of our uh, sermon today really comes from that book title, uh, a book by Mark Batterson, and I, I just really enjoy reading. And uh, he had a book called Whisper. And as I've been reading that book, it's just really been stirring in me. And as I began to pray and say, Lord, we finished up our series. God, what do you want? I just felt like the Lord said, rather than a series, that he just had a word today for all of us. And, uh, and, and just really was speaking to my heart about this subject. So let's get into it. On December 26, 2004, the third largest earthquake ever recorded by a seismograph erupted 10 miles beneath the Indian Ocean. It registered 9.1 on the Richter scale. It generated an, an energy equivalent of 23,000 atomic bombs, and the shockwaves produced a tsunami measuring over 100 feet in height, traveling over 500 miles an hour, and reaching a radius of 3,000 miles. That earthquake tragically claimed the lives of 227,898 people. How many remember that tsunami that, that, uh, that hit, uh, particularly in the, uh, in, the, in the path of the tsunami uh, in, in, in that whole area there? Um, over in Asia and, and Thailand and all of that, just kind of devastated. And, uh, and, and but there, you know, out of all of that, out of 227,898 people, there was one people group that actually survived the tsunami. And, uh, and there was not one single casualty among this people group. That people group was the Moken. They're an Austronesian ethnic group. And, and this people group lived their lives out in the ocean. They lived their lives at the sea. They lived their lives uh, out at the ocean and uh, in the open seas from birth until death. And they're a sea-based nomads. Their boats are their homes, and their children learn how to swim before they learn how to walk. They see twice as well underwater as we do. And as you would imagine, they have an intimacy with the ocean. As we read books, these folks have learned how to read ocean waves. There was an amateur photographer by in, from Bangkok that was there actually taking pictures of the Moken people. And he said there was a moment when the sea began to recede, and what he witnessed was the Moken people began to cry. They began to weep and they began to cry because they knew what was about to happen. The birds stopped singing. The, the elephants uh, and, and other wildlife began to head towards higher ground. And they noticed the dolphins began to swim out deeper into the sea. And so the Moken who were near the, 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 the coast there in Thailand, they began to move and hike towards higher ground. And those that were out further in the ocean began to go out deeper into the ocean where they knew beyond that the, the waves that were going to come in, they would be out of the danger of those major waves. They kind of moved out. Because of that, they went out there. When the tsunami crested, it minimalized and went past them, and the Moken survived. How did they survive? Because they knew how to look, and they knew how to listen, and they knew a language that others did not. Now, how does this connect to Scripture? 
Well, there is something that I see, words of Jesus repeated over and over again. In fact, six times in the gospel and eight times in the book of Revelation, Jesus repeats these six words. He says this in Matthew eleven fifteen: whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. You see, as the Moken learned how to interpret and read a language, the language of the waves, and it saved them from danger. So you and I can avoid a lot of things in life if we will learn the language of the Holy Spirit, if we will learn how to tune in the whisper and the voice of God. In fact, although these six words, he who has ears, let them hear, seems to be simple, their meaning is profound. The truth of the message is although that sound waves are traveling into our ears every day, every minute, every hour, there is a voice we still might not be listening to. In fact, how many of you know all of us have problems, don't we? We have relational problems. We have emotional problems. We have physical problems. We have spiritual problems. But you know what? I don't think that these problems are the problems. I think these problems are the symptoms, and they're the symptoms of a greater problem, and that is we've become deaf to the voice of God. We've become deaf to the voice of God. Our own negative self-talk that we talk over and over again, God can't get a word in edgewise. Sometimes we heard the voice of criticism that plays over and over and over again in our minds. Sometimes it's the voice of conformity or the voice of our, our culture or the voice of condemnation. And the Bible says that there is an enemy, a very real enemy. And what does the Bible give the nickname of our enemy, Satan? He's what? The accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. You know, over and over again, Satan begins to drop seeds, whether it's himself dropping them in, whether it's our own self-talk, whether it's somebody else in our life drops a negative seed, and that seed and that voice can sometimes overpower the voice of God. The accuser of the brethren can deafen us to the voice of God if we will listen to his lies long enough. And if you can't hear his voice, then you can't sing his song, and therefore you will be off-key. So let me give you a little prescription for the problem. Learning to discern the still small voice of God is the solution to a thousand problems, and it's the key to discovering your identity and your destiny. Learning how to tune in the voice of God. Because it's his voice where we find joy, and it's his voice where we find wisdom. It's his voice where we find healing, and it's his voice that gives us peace. It's his voice that leads us to the power of God. It's his voice that tunes us into the grace of God, and it's his voice where we hear the truth of God. Before we dig in a little deeper, let me just tell you a couple of things up front. First is this. If you aren't willing to listen to everything God has to say, eventually you won't hear anything he has to say. What I mean by that is if you're only willing to listen to the comfort of God, but you're not willing to listen to the conviction of God, then you're going to lack being able to hear God altogether. There are times where we tune in and and we only want to hear the the, the good things. We only want to hear these kinds of things that God says, but these kind of things over here we want to ignore. 
We, we like to, to, to hear the not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. We like to hear that, that Jesus Christ is our victory and our savior, but we don't want to hear some of the other things that scripture has to say. And when you don't want to hear the fullness of the voice of God, you will begin to tune out God. And sometimes what I, what I wanted to hear least is what I need to hear most. And God's not afraid to go there. And that leads me to number two. We live in a culture where everyone wants to be heard, but everyone has little to say. (laughs) It's because we're not listening to God. Finding our voice starts when we start hearing God. If you want people to listen to you, listen to God, because then you'll have something really worth listening to. There's a lot of chatter, there's a lot of noise. Going on in our culture, a lot of people spouting off their own wisdom, spouting off their own emotional responses, spouting off their own take, their own, their own thoughts, their own wisdom, their own this, their own that. You can tune in all of those voices, but I'm telling you, those aren't going to lead you down the path that Jesus Christ wants to lead you down. True peace, true hope, true, true grace, true healing is found when we learn to listen to the voice of truth. When God has something worth listening to. There's a powerful story, 1 Kings chapter 19. There's a prophet, his name is Elijah in the Old Testament, and he's had a powerful ministry. In fact, in chapter 18, probably the one, one of the most famous stories about Elisha that we have is Elisha on Mount Carmel. And there is Elisha, he's on Mount Carmel and he's coming against the 450 prophets of Baal and he challenges them about whose God is the real God. And so he says, listen, the God who answers by fire, he's the real God. And so he says to them, you go ahead and put a sacrifice, but just don't light any fire to it. You call on your God, and if Baal is God, he will answer by fire. I'm going to do the same thing, and we're going to see whose God answers by fire. And and if you've been around church for any length, you you know what happened. The prophets of Baal get chanting, and they get dancing, and they get trying to call down, and nothing happens. Minute by minute hour by hour roll by and Elisha he just starts poking on you know well where is your God well maybe he's asleep well he even gets to the point where he says maybe he's using the bathroom you know where is he and they just start getting more and more violent they're cutting themselves they're doing all kinds of things to try to stir up their God who is not God at all they're working themselves into a tizzy and then Elisha comes and he just he says you know what We're going to make this even more interesting. You know what? There's been a drought. Water's at a premium. But you know what? I want you to just fill this with water. You know what? Fill it again. Fill it again. And then he simply prays and calls on the name of God. And God answers by fire. Man, what a victory. Then they go and chase those prophets of Baal and set away from them. You know, and and, and they rout the enemy. And then there's been a drought for three and a half years. And what does Elijah do? Elijah begins to pray. And he prays. And he prays until he sends his servant. And his servant sees a cloud about the, the size of a man's hand. He says, that's it. I know the answer has come because I see that small cloud. I know the rain is coming. And he gets so excited, he pulls up his tunic and he takes off. Of running and he outruns Ahab's chariot all the way because he knows that God is showing up and it is God who has answered and then all of a sudden when he gets there wicked queen Jezebel she says to him if I don't have your head by this time tomorrow then there's going to be a problem and she threatens his life and what does Elijah do Elijah gets discouraged man he just won a great victory 
Come on. After three and a half years, he prayed, and then it rained. He outdid the prophets of Baal. God is still on the throne. But no, Elijah is worn out. He's worn down, and he goes, and he begins to run. And God sustains him and leads him to a mountain. And it's there where he has a powerful encounter with the Lord. 1 Kings 19, 11 and 12. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains and shattered the rocks before the Lord. And the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not an earthquake. And I think it was probably a little more than an earthquake than what we felt a couple of weeks ago here. And, 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 but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. And the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came, the NIV says, a gentle whisper. The ESV says a low whisper. The, the New American Standard Bible says a gentle blowing. The King James Version says still small voice. By definition, a whisper is speaking using one's breath instead of one's vocal cords. Come on, are you getting where this is going? There's a theological significance. Let me just say that again. That the whisper is using one's breath instead of one's vocal cords. How was Adam created? From the dust of the ground, what happened that brought life? God did what? He, he breathed life. Whisper life. Breathe life into man. Adam was once a whisper, so were you and I. We were once a whisper. Second Timothy 3.16, let me tell you something about breath. This is what it says about the scriptures. The words in the Bible are, are what? God breathed. God breathed. God is whispering. The word of God is God whispering and speaking to us. Hang on to that for a moment. One morning on August 27th, 1883, ranchers in Alice Springs, Australia, heard sounds like gunshots. The same mysterious sound was reported in 50 geographical locations spanning one-thirteenth of the globe. And what the Aussies heard was an eruption of a volcano on a remote island in Indonesia, 2,233 miles away from those ranchers in Australia. That volcanic eruption possibly was the loudest sound ever measured in sound waves at 310 decibels all the way around the globe four times. It generated 3,000 foot tidal waves. It threw rocks a distance of 34 miles and it cracked a one, thick, one, one foot thick concrete 300 miles away. There is power in a sound wave. You may not realize it, but there's power and a sound wave. Let me give you a couple other examples. If sound exceeds 110 decibels, we experience in our bodies a change in blood pressure. At, 100, at 141 decibels, we become nauseous. At 145 decibels, our vision gets blurred and our eyeballs begin to vibrate. And at 202 decibels, we are in danger of, of rupturing and, and, and death. Our eardrums rupturing at 202 decibels or excuse me, 195 our eardrums can be ruptured at 202 we're in danger of death there's power in a sound wave and yet on the other side a gentle whisper the hearing of a whisper measures about 15 decibels so go back to first kings 19 because we tend to, to look at the still small voice and we tend to 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 look at the natural phenomenon that proceeds the, 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 the whisper, and, and we kind of disregard that a little bit in this story. But I don't want you to disregard that for a moment because I want to tell you that God has an outside voice 
and God has an inside voice. Can I tell you that? There are times when God uses his outside voice. And what's his outside voice used to do? His outside voice is used to get your attention. Elijah's attention was gotten by the four times previous. The four things previous to that, his attention was gotten. And God will use his outside voice. God will use his outside voice. But God will also use his inside voice. And you might say, why? Why does God use the whisper? Why does God use the inside voice? Because let me tell you what happens. When somebody whispers to you, in, in order for you to hear it, what do you have to do? You have to be quiet, but you have to get close. You have to get close. When somebody wants to whisper, they turn and they want to whisper in your ear. They want you to lean in and they want you to get close. Let me tell you something. When God uses his outside voice, he wants to get your attention. And sometimes he'll use his outside voice. Sometimes he uses big things to get your attention. But let me tell you something. When he wants you to draw in close, he will whisper. When he wants the intimacy of the relationship, he will whisper. And he wants you to draw in to him. He wants you to get close to him. God loves to speak to his people. And you know, the primary way that God speaks to us, the primary way that he speaks to us is through his word. We read earlier, 2 Corinthians 3.16, that, that, that God's word is the language of scripture. It is God-breathed. And it's useful for training and correction. And, and read 2 Corinthians, or 2 Timothy, excuse me, 3.16. And it's got a lot of benefits. Primarily, the way that God speaks to us is through the Bible, is through his word. That's the primary way that God speaks to us. That's why it's so important that we get into God's word. And if you say, I have a hard time getting into it, I have a hard time understanding it, I have a hard time with all that, it's because Satan does not want you in God's word because God's word is life and God will speak to you and you will be changed as you read his word. In fact, when we open the Bible, God opens his mouth and he whispers to us through his word. Scripture is the primary language, but let me give you some secondary languages. I believe there are six secondary languages that we see in which God uses to speak, confirmed through the scriptures, and we see it throughout the Bible. But I want to just share briefly with you these six secondary languages, because there are some of these in which you might be hearing the voice of God and not even realizing it. The first one is the language of desire. The language of desire. Here's what Psalm 37, 4 says. It says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you know what desire means? We see it in the, in the New Testament as well when James talks about uh, the sinful desires that get conceived. The word desire though in the Hebrew means to conceive. God will birth desires, new desires within you. Now, there's a mistaken notion out there, and that is that, that when you pray and, and, and you say, God, I, I want your will, that, that God's going to somehow, he's going to put something that you don't like to do. He's going to send you somewhere where you don't want to go. You're going to be put in a position that's going to be uncomfortable for you. And let me tell you something. What I don't, I don't find that necessarily in the scriptures. Now, again, there are sinful desires, 
There are. The Bible talks about sinful desires. But when you delight yourself in the Lord, when you seek first the kingdom of heaven in his righteousness, when you're desiring to follow the Lord, God will begin to change your desires. He will begin to sanctify your desires. He will begin to put new desires in you. He will conceive and give birth to desires inside of you that are the things that come from him. And those desires oftentimes align up with his good and pleasing and perfect will and they become the compass and the the compass needle that points us towards God's plan and God's purpose pay attention to those godly desires what are the God desires that he's putting in you what are the things that God is putting in you maybe there's somebody a people group or, 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 or a particular cause or a particular thing and God has put something inside of you and he said listen I want you to walk in this I'm conceiving this inside of you second is the language of dreams how many know that God gives dreams Peter's quoting in, in the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost has come. He's quoting in the book of Acts. He's quoting, he's quoting uh, from the Old Testament prophet Joel. He says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Let me tell you something. When God fills you with his spirit, dreams are a supernatural byproduct. God wants to anoint your right brain imagination. He wants to, to give you dreams. He wants, to, he wants to not only birth desires in you, but he wants to give you dreams. God-given dreams. God ideas. How many know that a God idea is better than any man-made idea? We need some God dreams. We need some God dreams. And God whispers through these dreams. He whispers through these things. How many know Joseph is a great example of this in the Old Testament? Joseph in the Old Testament, God had given him a dream, gave him two dreams. He learned how to interpret dreams. Daniel learned how to interpret dreams. Daniel learned how to, how to have those things. God speaks through the language of dreams. Number three, the language of doors. I love Revelation 3, 7, and 8. What he opens, no man can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. God will speak to us through doors. He'll speak to us through doors. Now, we all love open doors, but let me tell you something. God speaks just as much through the open door, or uh, speaks just as much through the closed doors as he does through the open doors. I think we got to pay attention to the closed doors. We all want the open doors, and sometimes when the door closes, we're back there beating on the doors going, God, why did you stop this? God, why haven't you opened this? God, why isn't this happening? And God is saying, because that's not my best for you. I speak through doors, not only the open doors, but the shut doors. That if there's a shut door, you will say, okay, Lord, that door is shut. What's another one? God did this. Man, man, Paul, man, he was on his way, kept trying, but he was, he was just not permitted by the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, what did he have? He had a vision. He had a dream of a man in Macedonia saying, come and send them to us. And there was a new open door to Macedonia. There was a closed door open over here, but there was an open door over here pay attention not only to the open doors but the closed doors because those are the language in which God may want to speak to you fourth is the language of people I mean, God speaks through people God speaks through people godly people sometimes God speaks through ungodly people God can speak through anybody but godly people I mean in, in the Old Testament and God, God spoke through a donkey 
All right? <laughs> really, it's in there. <laughs> just go back and read it. It's in there. A guy by the name of Balaam who just continued to persist in doing what he wanted to do, even though it wasn't what God wanted to do. And then all of a sudden, God had to actually use a donkey and open the, the mouth of a donkey to speak to get that guy's attention. There are some of you, don't let it come to the place where you need a donkey to speak to you because you're persisting against what God wants. All right? You just keep going in the way that God... You know, there, there, there's another name for a donkey, and that's what you become if you continue to persist. Yes, I did just say that. God speaks through people. God spoke through a prophet by the name of Nathan to rebuke David. God used an uncle Mordecai to exhort a queen named Esther. And used a spiritual father named Paul to encourage Timothy. And Moses declared this in Numbers eleven twenty nine. 29. I wish all the Lord's people were prophets. God wants to speak through you. And he wants to speak to you. And he does that through the language of people. Fifth is the language of prompting. Prompting. Isaiah 30, 21. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. How many know the Holy Spirit is our guide? My sheep know my voice. There are times where the Lord will prompt us through his Holy Spirit. That still small voice that prompts us, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, something deep down in your heart, something where you go, hmm, I don't know. I just don't think this is it. Or another time where you go, you know, it doesn't seem to make sense. I'm not exactly sure why, but I'm just feeling prompted by the Holy Spirit that I need to take this step. We've got to learn how to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, how to discern the Holy Spirit, how to discern the promptings of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about the gift of discernment. And friends, sometimes we need the gift of discernment and begin to to discern the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And then number six, the one that we don't like, the language of pain. I've quoted it before, but I just love the quote by C.S. Lewis that God whispers to us in our pleasures but shouts in our pain. You can't ignore the Bible. You can leave it off the shelf, but you, 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 can, you can ignore it. You can leave it on a shelf. You can, you can let dust collect, but you can't ignore pain. You can't ignore pain. Pain's the byproduct of the curse in Genesis chapter 3, and a day is coming in Revelation chapter 20 where it says that there's going to be no more crying and no more mourning and no more pain. That day is coming. We live under the curse where there's pain, and I'm going to tell you something, that sometimes God will use pain to speak to you. Sometimes God will use pain to get your attention. Sometimes God will use pain to speak to you or to speak to others while you are going through it and suffering. Jesus Christ suffered, but through his suffering, many have come to eternal life. The disciples didn't... The disciples counted joy in their suffering because they recognized that redemption can come as a result of them being willing to go through the suffering and through the pain. God speaks through pain. Pain's a good teacher, gets our attention. And out of these languages, it's just a very important principle through it all to have ears to hear. Psalm 119.67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. That's what the psalmist said. Pain teaches us lessons. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, now after the affliction, I obey your word. And then a few verses later in Psalm 119, verse 71, it says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Pain is a good teacher. 
And through all of these different languages, seven of them told her scripture is the primary and then these secondary ways in which God speaks to us and, and scripture being our ultimate guide, we need to understand that we need to have ears to hear. I want to go back to that. Because Jesus said it over and over again in the Gospels and in the book of Revelation. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That means that there are times when although we have ears that might hear, we're not truly listening to the voice of God. And sometimes it's not about simply our physical ears or an audible voice of God in the human range of hearing. But it's learning how to discern the still small voice, the whisper of God, the breath when God breathes and whispers to us in that still small voice. It's learning how to, how to discern the desires and the dreams and the doors. It's learning how to, how to accept and, and read the people and the promptings and the pain. It's learning how to hear the whisper of God. And when, you, when, when, when Jesus said, let him who have ears to hear, let him hear, the Jewish ear would have heard this, and this echo, Psalm 40 and verse 6, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. My ears you have opened. Do you know the word open in Hebrew is an archaeological term that means dig? It means excavate, to dig through dense material. But it also means to pierce. And quite frankly, when David had written this, there's a good chance that he was referencing something else that was found in an ancient ritual outlined at Mount Sinai. After serving for six years... If you were a Hebrew slave, in other words, you, you fell into debt, you weren't able to, to keep up and pay your debt, you could sell yourself into slavery to someone else who would pay your debt, and then you would work for them for six years to work to pay off that debt. You would become their servant. And, and after being servant, after being their servant in the sixth year, the seventh year, if the servant ended up saying, you know what, I love my master. I love working for my master. I love serving my master. You know what? My master is wonderful. That servant would have an option in the seventh year. And if that servant said, you know what? I love my master. I want to serve my master the rest of my life. Here is what would happen. There was a physical symbol that would happen. Exodus 21, 6. He shall take him to the door of the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. And then he will be his servant for life. Do you know the symbol of the pierced ear? You know what it is? It's the servant saying, I'm giving my ear to my master. I'm giving my ear to my master that, that whenever my master gives me a command or asks me to do something, because I love my master and I have chosen to serve, then I give my ear so that whatever he asks, I will obey. And the Latin word for obey actually means to give ear. It literally means giving God our ears and saying, God, let your, let, let, you get the first word in my life, and you get the last word in my life. God, I give you my ear. As a believer in Jesus Christ, for those of you that are believers, those of you that have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, have you given him your ear? Have you given him your ear? We always talk about, Lord, I give you my heart. I want to give my heart to Jesus. And you know what? Giving God your heart is important. But I want to challenge you with something else this morning. I think we've got to learn how to give God our ear. How to give God our ear. How to, how to say, oh, I love you, my master. And I want to serve you, my master. And you know what? I want to give you my ear as your hands and your feet were pierced. You know what? So pierce my ear that my ear might always be attentive to your voice. And that I all my, my will be in a position to obey whenever you call. That I'll be there to listen.
Genuine listening is an act of submission. It also shapes what you become. Spanish philosopher Jose Ortega y Gasset said this, tell me, what, tell me to what you pay attention and I'll tell you who you are. You know, we get shaped by the image or by, we get shaped into the image of the loudest voice in our life. The voice you listen to the most. Who's the voice you listen to the most? What's the voice you're listening to the most? For some of you, it's whoever's squawking at you on the TV or the radio or the podcast or whatever else. It's the movie or it's the music you're listening to and they're squawking at you. It's the TV shows you're listening to. Squawk, 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 squawk. And you come away with that same kind of worldview that they come away with. Some of us need a sanctified worldview. We've got a worldview from all these talkers. We've got more talkers going on than ever before. We've got more people preaching to us and not just on Sunday mornings. Some of you are listening to more messages on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, through your radio, through your TV, through your newspaper, through whatever source you're listening to. And that is the phrase, that's what you come away with your worldview. That's the way you're looking at it. And sometimes it's not biblical. We need to learn how to tune in the voice of God. How do we do that with all the noise, with all the busyness, with, with all the interaction? I'm on my phone up here. I leave it down there because I don't want to be distracted by it. But I got to be honest with you. As connected as we are, we are disconnected. There is just so much. We are saturated all the time by all kinds of noise. And we fill our calendars with all kinds of things. And it's just all around, constant, constant, constant. And we wonder why we can't hear the voice of God. Well, God doesn't speak to me. Well, maybe you're not listening. Maybe you're listening to everything and everybody else, but we're not tuning in the voice of God. How do we do that? Well, listen to the advice of the psalmist. Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am am God. And how do you get still? You've got to get to a quiet place. You've got to get to a quiet place. You've got to get to a place outside of all the noise. You've got to get to a place where you put the phone away, where you put the radio away, where you put the TV away, where you put the busyness away, where you put all that away, and you get to a still, small voice, a quiet place. Mark Batterson wrote this, and I loved it. I think God speaks the loudest when we're the quietest. Let that sit for a moment. And let me tell you something. Meeting with God isn't something that just happens. I mean, I'm grateful. I know that we're busy, and I'm grateful for all of you that your time with the Lord is on your commute. I'm grateful for that. And that that can be a good thing. I'm, I'm grateful sometimes where we just are... For the prayers, we can just offer up, or the, the apps on our phone where we can take just a little bit of time throughout our busy day to scroll and to make sure we get our reading so that in, in the Bible app, we don't miss our streak. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you who use the Bible app, you know. Those of you that don't, you're clueless. It's okay. You know, there's a, there's a thing. There's, you know, I think they took it off of Snapchat or something with streaks because, you know, everybody's got to have a streak. They got to keep going to be motivated. I don't know what it is. Something like that. But here, here's the thing. You can do that, 
But you got to have a scheduled, scheduled times where you just get alone and you get quiet before the Lord. But we, we can't get quiet. We have a trouble getting quiet. If, they, if there is silence for too much, too much time, we don't know what to do with it. We're all fidgety. We're all, hmm, I, mm, I do it. This is weird. We don't know how to get quiet. And because of that, we are the most stressed out culture ever. I have nothing against medications. I understand. There are things that we need to take medications for. But I've got to be honest with you. For such an affluent culture, we're the most medicated culture in all of the world. Why? Why? Because we don't know how to get quiet. We don't know how to, how to get to that place where we can get quiet before the Lord. Mark, Mark Batterson calls them whispering spots. If you want to hear the gentle whisper of the Lord, you've got to get to a whispering spot. You've got to have a spot that's the whispering spot where you're quiet before the Lord. One of my favorite people in, in the Old Testament, somebody I want to pattern my life after is Joshua. Why Joshua? Because when the tabernacle was set up, or, or when the tent, I'm sorry, not even the tabernacle, a tent was set up, and Moses would go, Moses sent the tent up outside the camp, and when Moses wanted to talk with God, that's when he wasn't on the mountain, he would go into the tent, and it was there that he would meet with God, and the people would all come, and they would stand at the entrances of their tents until Moses came out. But when Moses came out, Joshua stayed in. And it says this, Exodus 33, 9 to 11, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But listen to this. But the young aide Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. He didn't leave the tent. He valued staying in the whispering spot. He valued staying in where he could get quiet and where he himself could talk to the Lord. We're not given the details, but I can assure you that Joshua was learning how to stay and hear the whisper of the Lord. And it's later what led to him when the spies would, would, would go out and the spies came back that he had a good report and he saw things differently. Why? Because he stayed and knew the whisper of the Lord. He was the one that was chosen to lead next, even when he was fearful and had to hear, do not be afraid and have other encounters. Why? Because he learned how to value the whispering spot. You say, is that even biblical? I don't know. Abraham was the oak of Mamre. Isaac, it was the well outside of Nahor. For Jacob, it was Bethel. For Moses, it was a burning bush. For Joshua, it was the tent of meeting, and then later he was met at Gilgal. Again, for Gideon, the oak tree in Orpha. For Samuel, it was Shiloh sitting on his bed trying to fall asleep and not even knowing what he was hearing and kept going to Samuel, who he was serving as the high priest at the time, and saying, you called, you called, you called. And then finally Samuel says, the next time you just say, Lord, speak, your servant is listening. Some of us need to get in the whispering spot to where we go, Lord, Speak, your servant is listening. God can't speak because we're too busy. God can't speak because the noise is too loud. You want God to speak, you got to find a whispering spot. For David, it was out with the sheep singing praise. Later, the cave of Adullam. For Elijah on the mountain, Mordecai, the king's gate in the citadel of Susa. For Ezekiel, God spoke and gave him a vision at the Kibar River. For Daniel, it was an upstairs window facing Jerusalem. For Jonah, it was the belly of a whale. Yeah. All right. 
Nuff said. When you don't get in the whispering spot, God might create a whispering spot you don't like. You got a choice. All right. For Jesus, he'd go off by himself to pray sometimes early in the morning. He'd get direction. He'd come back. The crowds were there waiting. And he'd say, no, we're going over here. The disciples. But all these crowds have been waiting. I was in the whispering spot. I've been directed. I know which way to go. I know which way to go. God can speak to us anytime, anywhere. I mean, let me just be honest. He can speak to us anytime, anywhere. But sometimes, in order for us to hear, we've got to get to the whispering spot. In order for us to hear, we've got to learn how to be still and know that he is God. We've got to be still and come to that place where we get close enough because when he whispers, it's intimacy and he wants us close. And he's saying, will you draw in? Will you draw in near? Draw near to me and I will draw near to you, James says. That's what he wrote. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. If you want to experience the intimacy, you've got to get to the whispering spot. You've got to get to the place where you begin to draw near and you quiet your soul and your spirit and quiet yourself so that you can begin to tune in and hear the still small voice of the Lord. You know, I learned something with mixing sound and recording. And, and I'm not a person that records, but early on as a youth pastor, when you're a youth pastor, you just do whatever you need to do. And, uh, and so the sound man was out, and I needed to learn how to be a sound man, and so I had to learn how to, how, to, how to mix and all that, and I give those guys credit back there. But as I was doing some training, here, here's something that I came across doing some training. In training, you need to learn how to recalibrate your ears to the noise. Our ears are amazing organs, aren't they? They're capable of hearing sounds as faint that move the eardrum in the diameter of a hydrogen molecule. But in order for us to truly hear and mixing sound, in order to do it well, you've got to calibrate them and in order to take advantage of their enormous capabilities. And here's how. Listen to this. Try to stay. This is the advice they give. Try to stay the most quiet area you can for as long as you can before you begin to mix. Concentrate on the sounds that you're hearing and try to identify where, what they are and in what direction they're coming from. And studies have found that if that will make your hearing much more acute. Friends, we've got to learn how to recalibrate our ears to hear the whisper of the Lord. Our spiritual ears. And we do that intentionally by getting into the whispering place. Now, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. And, and, and I want to just close with this one final, one final illustration. And just stay with me. You, you, just hear this. In 1940, Dr. J. Edwin Orr took a group of Wheaton College students to study abroad in England. One of their stops included Epworth Rectory, and that's the rectory that now serves as the Methodist Museum, and it was actually the home of John Wesley, who was the founder of, of the Methodist movement. And in one of the bedrooms, in one of the bedrooms, there are two impressions where it is believed that John Wesley regularly knelt to prayer, to pray, excuse me. And as the students were getting back on the bus, Dr. Orr noticed that one student was missing. And so he went back into the house in the museum. He went back upstairs. And there he found a young Billy Graham kneeling in those knee holes, praying, Oh, Lord, do it again. Oh, Lord, do it again. John Wesley and Billy Graham and many throughout Scripture, throughout the Bible, understood the importance of submitting themselves to the Lord and giving their ear to the Lord, finding the place of submission in the whispering spot and saying, Lord, speak to me. 
your servant is listening. You know, if we do what they did in the Bible, then God's going to do what he did. If we will do what they did in the Bible, I believe that God will do what he did. The problem is, is we're not doing what they did in the Bible. We're not getting to the whispering spot. We're not submitting our ear to hear his voice. We haven't given over our ear. Maybe we've given other things to the Lord, but we haven't given him our ear. And I want to challenge you today to give the Lord your ear. God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to your heart. And there are ways that he does that. Scripture primarily. But there are, there are secondary ways that God will speak to your heart. And Scripture will be the balance of that. And so you need to get in the Scriptures. But you know what? We need to get away from the noise. And we need to learn how to get to the whispering spot so that we can learn how to tune in the voice of God. So here's my challenge. Do you want to hear the voice of God? Then you've got to learn how to tune out all the other noise, busyness, and chatter. You need to get to a place where you can give ear to the Lord, a place where the Lord can whisper and the Lord can breathe (laughs) because a whisper is just a breath, breathing those words breathing those words and I don't know about you but I need the breath of life you know the Hebrew word breath is also the Hebrew word for wind and it's also a symbol of the Holy Spirit and Jesus said unless I go the Holy Spirit cannot come he will be your counselor and he will be your guide and friends we need the breath the breath of heaven the breath of the Lord to whisper into our ears. And we need to respond like Samuel did. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, oh God, speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. What's the Lord saying to you? What's the Lord saying to you this morning? Maybe you're here and you haven't given your heart to Jesus. You, you, haven't, you haven't asked Jesus for salvation. Maybe, you, maybe you've been living your life your own way. But the Lord is saying to you, will you come? I want to save you. Will you come? I want to forgive you. Will you come? Will you come? I want to love you. Will you come? I need, I need you. And today you're here and you want to give Jesus your heart or maybe you need to rededicate your life. And that's what you're hearing right now. You're hearing that prompting of the Holy Spirit saying, it's time, surrender your life to me. It's time, surrender your life to me. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? I want to lead you in a prayer of salvation. It's time, I need to give my life to Jesus. It's time, I need to give my life to the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to rededicate my life to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray with these that have raised their hands today. Come on, if you raise your hand, just pray with me. Dear Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Cleanse me. Make me new. I surrender myself to you. I ask for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Secondly, you're here. Maybe you've already given your life to Christ, but you say, you know what? Man, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of stuff. And the Lord is just prompting me right now. I, I've given him my heart, but you know what? I need to make a commitment. I need to give him my ear. I need to give him my ear. I've given him my heart, but I haven't been listening. I haven't given him fully my ear. And if that's you and you say, you know what? I'm being prompted right now by the Holy Spirit to respond. Today, I want to make a new commitment, a fresh commitment to give the Lord my ear. Will you slip up your hand today? Lord, I want to give you my ear. I want to give you my ear all across this place. Jesus. Jesus, today we give you our ears. We give ear to you. We want to not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. But it begins by hearing because we can't do if we haven't heard. And so, Lord, today we submit to you our ears. We put them against the doorpost and we say, Lord, pierce our ear that our ear might be attentive to your voice, that we might be your sheep hearing your voice, hearing your leading, hearing what you're desiring, hearing, Lord, when you convict us and being sensitive to respond, hearing you when you prompt us to to love or to serve, hearing you, oh God, when you're directing us, hearing you when you're speaking to us, hearing you, God, when we need peace above the noise of the pain or the storm, hearing your voice say, be still, be still. Today we give you our ear. We give you our ear. Oh God, we give you our ear. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.